0: If you got your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 33 and just kind of wait there. We'll be there in just a moment. Um, the other supporting scripture will be on the screen. It's also in your outline. Uh, if you have the version Bible app, I'm in the CSB, um, but we will primarily be in Exodus 33. So let's get going. I've got a lot to cover today. Um, I'm, I'm trying to squeeze it in to set us up for this series and kind of where we're going um, but I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to take us to Revelation, if that's okay. Have y'all got the time for that? Um, we have one day. Um, seriously, though, I am. Uh, no, and good. In, uh, in the book of Genesis, we see um, an intimate relationship between God and mankind, His creation. Um, In fact, in Genesis chapter three, eight, and all these re- uh, scriptures, I'm going to kind of reference them today. I'm going to talk about this chapter to this chapter. I'd encourage you to go read those this week. Um, I'm not going to read through all of them, but in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, we see how God directly interacted with Adam and Eve. Um, In fact, the Bible tells us it tells us they heard him walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze as if this was some common occurrence. This was a common meeting that they had with one another. But it's on this day in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 that the relationship between God and man changed forever. In fact, um, we don't see Adam and Eve welcoming God into the garden and welcoming him to this meeting. We see them hiding um, from him in shame um, because of their sin. And Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24 tells us the consequence of that sin. And that's what it says here. It says, "...the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken." He, was, uh, he, he drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. If you look into the New Testament, you will see in Colossians chapter 1 that the Scripture tells us man's sin separated him from God, but it also made him and made all of us enemies of God. And so if we fast forward, you know, Genesis 3 shows us that picture of sin. It shows us that it separated us from God. It interrupted that relationship. It changed the way that mankind could interact with God. But then fast forward to Revelation 21 and we see that man's relationship with God has been reconciled like in the garden, and John writes this about the new heaven and the new earth and what that will look like. In verse 3 it says, "Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will, he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. So we've all experienced this, the, the darkness and the hopelessness of Genesis 3. In fact, some of you might be experiencing that in your life right now. You might be going through that type of experience but we see a future hope for God's people where the old passes away, where the scripture says that death and grief, crying and pain will be no more. And so between Genesis 3 and Genesis 21, a lot happens. We're not going to go through it all, but a lot happens. We see the consequence of Genesis 3. We see the consequence of that sin. But something has to happen between Genesis chapter 3 to get us to Revelations 21. But today, we're going to see that separation between God and man because of sin. We're going to see the the consequences that were placed there between the two. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God— sent Moses to lead his people out of the grip of Pharaoh and out of that bondage. God continuously saved them and provided for their needs. He, he leads them up to the Red Sea, and he immediately um, delivers them by parting the Red Sea. He provides food for them and water. He provides water from a rock. He provides um, manna from the sky. He, he, he continuously provides for them, continuously leads them. And regardless of what God did, the Israelites, much like us, uh, are very quick to forget. They're they're very quick to forget the blessings of God. They're very quick to forget the delivery um, that God had given to them out of slavery after 400 years. They're quick to overlook the things of God's favor and blessing on their life. And they only can find reasons to um, complain and to argue, to gripe. They blame God at one point, and we've looked at that passage of Scripture before. They accuse Him of delivering them just to kill them because they were hungry, and He had not provided food in their timing. And so they start accusing God of delivering them out of slavery just to kill them. And so in Exodus 19, the Lord has come down to Mount Sinai in a cloud, and he summons Moses to meet with him up on Mount Sinai. In verse 21 and 22, this is what the Lord says. Once again, this is, we're looking at the consequence of sin in separating that relationship between God and man, and this is what the Lord directed Moses according to 21 and 22. Go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord. Otherwise, many of them will die. Even the priest who come near, the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out in anger against them. This is the Genesis 3 world created by man's sin. Sinful people cannot be in God's presence. They cannot see him face to face. Even the priest who had been called and set apart would have to consecrate themselves before coming into God's presence or they would be killed. They would die. And so this is the world that has been created because of sin. And God's so serious about this. At the end of that chapter in Exodus 19, he tells Moses to warn the people again. He says, the priests and the people must not break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out in anger against them. Here we are made in the image and the likeness of God. We've been created in His image for the purpose of worshiping Him and living for His glory. We're incomplete without God. Our lives are incomplete. That's what was broken in sin. Our relationship with God, how complete we were in Him. In fact, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17, There was a group of people, the Athenian people, and how they worshiped all of these gods and they still knew that there was something out there greater than the the false gods and the false idols that they were worshiping because it was incomplete to them. It was not fully satisfying to them just to worship because, yes, we were created to worship, but we were created to worship God. And in the pursuit of worshiping God, we found all these other things to worship, celebrities, success, success relationships, pleasure, all of these things we find ourselves worshiping, and yet it is incomplete. It does not completely satisfy us. And so yet our sin has separated us from having that intimate relationship with God. We see this in Exodus. You can't even come into God's presence because you're a sinner. Even if you were a called set apart priest, you had to consecrate yourself because your sin would lead to death if you came into the presence of an all holy, all powerful creator God outside of the garden, absent of God's presence in Genesis chapter four, we immediately see the first act of jealousy, the first act of anger, the first act of hatred, and subsequently the first murder in the life of Cain. We, we immediately see the, 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 the consequences of what happens in the world and what happens in our heart when it is absent of God's presence. See, because the garden, um, when, when God was there, when he was present, it was a perfect world. There was no hatred. There was no jealousy. There was no sin. It was only until man chose to sin and they were separated that now there's an absence. There's a gap. There's a a brokenness there. The chaos, the heartache, the, the darkness, the evil that we experience in this world all begin in hearts that are absent of God's presence. There are things that we can look at in this world and we can go, that is evil. That's wickedness. There are things we can look at and we can go, there's no righteousness in that. And it's becoming more and more evident, more and more clear. The the, the internet helps that. Like It puts you right in front of your face. I I think where many of us, we feel like the world's getting worse and worse. It may just be that the world's getting closer and closer. Because the the depravity of man, the brokenness of man, the sinfulness of man has been there since Genesis chapter 4. Hatred, jealousy. We see uh, sexual sin all throughout the Bible. It's just getting closer. It's just getting at the palm of our hands with mobile devices and with the internet. We're, we're, we're seeing it. We're being uh, inundated with it. And so there are things that we can look at in this world and we go, that has nothing to do with God. God is absent in that. And all of that evil, all of that darkness, all of that chaos is the result of lacking the presence of God. Without God's presence, the world will never be what he designed it to be, what he intended it to be, what he created it to be. It'll lack the things of joy, love, peace, and that completeness, that satisfaction. He he created us to be fully satisfied in him, to, to be fully delighted in him. But Apart from his presence, we cannot have that delight. We can't have that completeness or that satisfaction. But we can't be in God's manifested presence because of our sins. See, there's a difference in God's presence. He is everywhere. And there's a, and his manifested presence, his physical, his appearing, his physical involvement in a situation or in a scenario. And that's what we're talking about him manifesting himself, not just being present and seeing all things and and being there observing and watching all things, but being intimately involved, manifesting himself in our lives, in our world. And so we can't be in that manifested presence because of sin. And so in Exodus chapter 20 verses 30 through 31, I'm not reading them all. Once again, go read it this week. In those 11 chapters, God meets with Moses and he gives him the Ten Commandments. He gives them the laws and the ordinances that he required of the people in their worship of him. And so this is a pretty lengthy meeting. I mean, going through the Ten Commandments, he's going through all of these ordinances, all of these requirements, all of these expectations. The cool thing is the Bible says that then he um, inscribes it on on, on stone tablets with his own finger, so he doesn't expect Moses to remember it. He, 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 he writes it down for him so he could take it to the people. And then in Exodus chapter 32, as Moses is meeting with God. Now, the cloud has come over Mount Sinai. God has summoned him. Like, this is a very evident thing. Like, if you go read the description of what that looked like when God came over the mountain and all these different things and the pillar of fire. I mean, it's just like, like it, it's a scene. The people saw this the people have experienced and witnessed God delivering them. They've witnessed the food and the provision. They've witnessed all of this. And they get impatient, just like we as people do. And Moses hasn't come back in their timing, and so they're like, we don't know what's happened to them. Aaron, build us a, or or make us a God. And so Aaron, at their demands, takes all of their gold jewelry, throws it into the fire, and The scripture says in one part that um, as he's explaining himself to Moses that a a golden calf came out of that fire as if it just kind of formed and happened. I don't know. I don't know how that took place. I wasn't there, but there was a golden calf and and the people begin to worship this golden calf declaring that it was this golden calf, this God who had delivered them out of Egypt. This is a complete mockery of the creator God. To declare that this golden calf that has no life has delivered them from their 400 years of slavery. And so he builds an altar there and they begin to um, worship it in that moment. And there's a part where basically God says, go get your people. God's like, hey, those are your people. You delivered them. And Moses is like, no, you had me deliver them. Those are your people. Go read Exodus 32 this week. See how that turned out. But in Exodus 33, verses 1 through 5, the first part of 5, it says this, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up from here, you and the people you brought out from the land of Egypt to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your offspring. I will send an angel ahead of you and will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you because you are a stiff necked people. Otherwise I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned and didn't put on their jewelry for they had burned it in the fire and made a calf. For the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff necked people. If I went up with you for a single moment, I would destroy you. So God instructs Moses to lead the people to the promised land, but he says, I'm not going to go with you because the people are stiff-necked people. In fact, this is about the third time he's referred to them as being a stiff-necked people. But you're, 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 you're ignorant. You're foolish. You're participating in foolish sins. You're rebelling. He's like, because if I did go with you, I would end up destroying them because his presence can't be in the midst of sin, and, um, and, and then he's not going to tolerate this kind of sin. This is on the tail end of them building a golden calf. The good news is um, that the, those people who would not serve the Lord ha- had been dealt with. They were killed off in uh, Exodus chapter 32. That's why I say go read it and see how that turned out for them. So, so this is now a group of people who have consecrated themselves, essentially. They've committed to following after the Lord. Yet the Lord is saying, look, I'm not going to go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. I might end up destroying you. And and so God has instructed this to Moses, and he's refused to go. And and the people mourn, the Bible says. They're not putting on their jewelry. They're not doing what they normally would do because God wouldn't be with them. That's how important it was to have the presence of God with them they've got to go into this enemy territory. They're going into an unknown land. They want the presence of God to go with them. And because God said he wouldn't go, they have, they're now mourning. That's how important his presence was. I remember one day visiting with my parents in Kentucky. In fact, I told y'all the story last week about how I was attacked by my father-in-law and then Nikki and I kind of separated for a week. Well, I went up to Kentucky where my parents lived And and while I was up there for that week, we took my siblings to a neighboring mountain town and uh, my younger siblings, and we went to one of those fun centers that had the go-karts, like we used to have here at, you know, Adventure Crossing, and, and, and so the carts, those kind of like a mountain town, they, they weren't really well maintained, it was a smaller kind of area, so they didn't, st- mine didn't steer very well, um, I don't know if you've ever had one of those, um, and so um, we, we decide to go racing the go-karts, and there's a rule when you race go-karts, if you've ever been on one of those tracks, and you're not supposed to hit one another, Like, it's impossible not to bump every once in a while, but they don't want you hitting hard because they don't want somebody to get hurt. And so I don't even get around the track fully one good time when I get into a turn and I can't turn, it won't turn as sharp as it's supposed to, it won't steer correctly, and I hit someone right in the side. And the attendant was a man, and um, he just gets angry. And um, And I shared with y'all my kind of anger, and, and this thing has just happened to me, so I really don't have a short fuse. I have no fuse. And so he yells at me and basically threatens to kick me off the, 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 the ride um, if I do it again. And I told him I said, "The cart's messed up." And if you've ever done that, you know all the carts are lined up in a, in a trough type thing. You can't just choose which one you want, you sit down and then you just drive off. It's not like you can say, this one's broke, let me get in another because they're all lined up. You can't steer, you can't get out. It's, it's, there's curbs on the side. And so he doesn't listen to me. He restarts everybody, turns the light green and I make it around all the way this time. And now I'm going in the front where this attendant is and I've passed him and the probably about, I don't know, a hundred feet, 200 feet or something like that. Past him is another turn. It's the very first turn. Well, once again, it won't steer correctly. And so as I'm turning, um, I hit someone else. He's furious. And so he starts yelling at me to get off the ride, to to get out of the cart basically and just get off the, the thing. And once again, I'm trying to explain to him, he doesn't want to hear it. And he's telling me to get off or he's going to make me get off. This guy was six foot five had a greased-down mullet about the size of my 16-year-old um, son's. If you don't know Tristan, you can look for him after service. He's got a very long mullet. His, um, his, uh, he, had a, he, he topped that with a cowboy hat. His western shirt was tucked into his tighter jeans, and um, he capped that with a rodeo-style belt buckle. And as I'm trying to explain myself to him with a very short fuse because injustice had already been done to me, you're not going to serve injustice to me again. Um, uh, He starts making his way towards me very aggressively. Well, I start getting out of the cart to make my way towards him aggressively. Because anger will make you stupid, number one. I felt like I could outrun him. Uh, He's wearing cowboy boots. I wasn't. But he's a monster of a man. And as I'm making my way towards him... I can be bold because standing behind him is another monster of a man, my dad. And he was much closer to him than I was and that he was to me. And I could be bold and I could be courageous because I knew as long as my dad was present, he ain't let nothing happen to me. And two on one, along with my brother, that's three on one, that's a winnable fight. The the presence of my dad changed everything. See, God's presence changes everything. And so it mattered greatly to the Israelites because they knew exactly what his presence meant. They might have complained, and they might have argued, and they might have griped, but they knew when God's presence was there, they were delivered out of slavery. They knew when God was there that the Red Sea was parted and they were delivered. They knew when God was there that he would provide for them manna from heaven and water from a rock. They knew that God's presence mattered, and it mattered greatly. Yet, sin separates us from that presence. Sin, it could be a big six-foot-five guy who looks like he served some time, very strong but when you see God's presence, there's nothing more that you, that, that you want than to have it because you know how important it is. And so verse 7 through 11 goes on and says, now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship each one at the door of his tent. You bet they were worshiping. This cloud comes down and, and from it, the Lord is speaking to Moses? I think we would all, if we were in that moment, be worshiping the Lord of the, uh, that, that is present in this cloud. Verse 11 goes on, The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. So Moses creates this tent of meeting where people could consult with the Lord. But think about that in comparison to um, Adam and Eve and the relationship that they had with God. They got to walk with Him and commune with Him and and meet with Him in the evening breeze, face-to-face, uninterrupted in this intimate, personal relationship. And now, because of sin, the the best that mankind can do is come into this special tent that was actually designed and, and, and ordained by God Himself so that they can, um, through a priest and among a priest, um, uh, consult with the Lord. So there's no more intimate relationship here. It's more of transactional. It's more of like, hey, you know, this is God, but, but you know, I've got to confess my sin. I've got to go through this priest. I've got to do all these different things and go through these rituals. It's very impersonal. There's no really intimate relationship in this this is the cause of sin. It's the cause of sin in every one of our lives. It separates us from our Creator God. It it separates us from having His presence, which is so important to us. It it breaks fellowship among us and the God who created us. And that's what this picture is. You, You can go into the tent, you can consult with Him, but that's it. And so here in Exodus Uh, 33, verses 12 through 13, it says, Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name and you have also found favor with me. Moses has this intimate relationship with him. Verse 13 says, "Now now if I have indeed found favor with you, please teach me your ways and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. Before Moses leads the people to the promised land, Moses wants to know who God's going to send with him. Because earlier he said, I'll send an angel ahead of you, and he will help you win the the battle. He will help you win the, the victory over these enemies. But that's not good enough for Moses. The angel is not the presence of the Lord. An angel is not the same as having God go with you. God being among you. He wants God. And so he consults him and he reminds him of his own words. And he says, you told me, God, that you know me intimately. That you know me by name. And that I have um, somehow gained favor with you. And now it's because of this favor that he is now kind of leveraging that and he's reminding God of his words. He's saying, If I have found favor with you, teach me your ways. I want to know your ways before I have to lead these people. I want to know all that I can know from you because if you're not going to be with me, then I want to at least know your ways. I want to have your favor go with me. He says, If I have. If I, if I truly have favor with you, teach me your ways so I can know you more. But also remember, these are your own people. He's reminding God, these are your chosen people. Don't abandon them. Don't leave them behind. Go with us. And then verse fourteen it says, and he speaking about God replied, the Lord, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. The Lord tells Moses that his presence will go with him, and in that presence, he will have rest. See, the presence of the Lord is everything. It is what gives us rest. It is what gives us that satisfaction and that completeness. See, God is a God of his promises. Moses is only just reminding him of those promises. He's, he's appealing to him based on his promises and based on the fact that he has chosen these people. And that's what I love about our relationship with God is that when he chooses us in Christ Jesus, he, his presence is very present in our life. He, he does give us satisfaction. He does give us life. He does give us contentment. But he also goes with us wherever we go. He is with us. He gives us rest just as he did with Moses. But verse 15 goes on and says, if your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all of the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. Moses did not want to go into the world among their enemies without God's presence. His presence is what distinguished them from every other nation and every other people. It was his uh, presence that gave them favor among the other nations. And I love this. I, I love this picture because Moses did not want to go into the world without the presence of God. I think for us as followers of Jesus, that's how we should approach every day of our life. I do not even want to start the day. I don't even want to go into the world. I don't even want to go into the office place. I don't want to go into the classroom unless, God, I know that you are present with me. I'm going to yield myself to you. I'm going to let you be evident in me because that presence of God in his people is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. That's why we can look at the world and we can go, that is evil. That is unrighteousness. That is wicked. That is not of God because the, the, the presence of God in our life sets us apart from the rest of the world. That's why people should be able to look at us if the presence of God is with us and they should see that we are different. They should see that we have the favor of God in our life. And so Exodus 33, 18 through 20 goes on. Well, uh, and, and he says, then Moses said, please let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. This is the very reality of every sinner. Moses was a sinner. The people were sinners. He might have been God's chosen leader. They may have been his chosen people, but they were sinners just like you and I. We can't see God or be in his presence because of our sin. We can't get to God on our own because of our sin. That's why you can't work your way to heaven. That's why you can't earn favor with God. You can't achieve enough religiosity and do enough religious stuff to earn his favor and to earn his right standing. You can't do enough because your sin outweighs your good. You sin far more than you do anything that would be considered righteous. And then if you feel like you're righteous, you've just sinned because of your pride and your self righteousness. We cannot earn our way to God. So, how do we get from Genesis chapter 3 and Exodus 33 to Revelation chapter 21? How do we go from this picture that we see in Exodus 33, where mankind cannot get to God, we cannot be in his manifested presence, but then we see in Revelation chapter 21 that he is going to be our God, and he's going to live among us and with us, and we see the picture of the garden restored. How do we get there? Christmas. Christmas. In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25 you will see the picture of where the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph. Gabriel comes to Joseph. And Joseph has found out that Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And I'm gonna close with this. I know there's no points today. I'm setting this up for the, the 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 series. And so this is the final passage, but um he finds out Mary's pregnant and Joseph is an honorable man. So he's just going to kind of um, quietly divorce her, even though they weren't married yet. She was betrothed to him. That was good enough, as good as marriage in those days. And so he's going to quietly divorce her because he doesn't know what's going on. This is his fiance. Um, She's now pregnant. Something happened. And so he's just going to quietly, honorably divorce her. But as he's considering this, the angel visits him and says this in verse 20 to 23, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because that has been, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See? the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Where man cannot get to God in our own religiosity, our own good deeds, our own efforts, God, the Son of God, took on flesh and came to us in the person of Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, so that He could save us from our sins. He could redeem us and reconcile us back into that intimate relationship with our Creator, as we see in Revelations 21. The the people who are with God and that God is among in Revelations 21 is us. It is His people, It is is those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the Son of God took on flesh and came to us, we benefit. And we benefit in many different ways. We benefit not only in salvation and the forgiveness of sins, but we benefit in the fact that the Holy Spirit is present in our life, indwells us and lives within us. God himself, through the Holy Spirit, indwells us lives within us. That's why the Bible says that um, we stand before him, holy, blameless, without a single fault, because what Jesus did, he that knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of Christ. When you're in Christ, he no longer sees you as that sinner. He no longer sees you as Moses in that moment. He no longer sees you as the children of Israel in that moment. He now sees you as his own son, Jesus. There's been a great exchange, your unrighteousness for his righteousness. You now have the very presence of God, not in front of you, but inside of you, not among you, but with you, inside of you, wherever you go. That is the beauty of Christmas, is the fact that it's not that we have to still somehow get to God. We don't have to go through a pastor, a priest. We don't have to get it all right spiritually. We don't have to know all the Bible. We don't have to do any of those things. We place our faith and our trust in Christ and what he did on our behalf so that now we are in him. We are secure in him. And now he is secure in us through the Holy Spirit. And so now it's not like, okay, Um, if I see God face to face, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He put on flesh so that we could see the Father, so that we can know him and we could be in him and we could have that relationship. And so make this series a priority because we're going to talk about the benefits that have come to us because we're now in Christ. The first one that today that we have to see as I close is simply this, That you can know him intimately and have his very presence in your life by placing your faith in what a sinless Jesus did on the cross for you to pay the payment for your sins that you could not pay on your own. That you couldn't, you were the stiff necked people. And sometimes we're still stiff necked people, but yet we can be in Christ. And we can have his forgiveness and his redemption, and you can be in his presence because his presence changes everything. We need it every day of our lives, and you can have it, not just around you, but inside of you. So today, as I get ready to close in prayer, I would encourage you today, maybe the Spirit is speaking to you, and you've never come to that place. Maybe you've played religion and You've played going to church and, and and making sure you take check all the right boxes and take all the right steps, but you've never really trusted in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. You've never placed your faith in Him, and you know the presence of God is nowhere near you. like, like you're empty. You're looking for that satisfaction. You're looking for that hope. Today, the Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, if you believe in the gospel message that a sinless Jesus came to earth to live the perfect life that you could not live, that he went to the cross because that was the plan of God for him to take your place and that he died a criminal's death on the cross as an innocent man and that his shed blood, the Son of God, his shed blood was sufficient to pay for the payment of your sins. So as The terminology goes to wash your sins as white as snow, to erase them as if they never existed. And to give you right standing with God as if you had always obeyed him and always lived righteously. And that he rose to new life. He didn't stay in the grave like everybody else, like all these false gods and all these false prophets and all of these religious men and women. He rose to new life so that you and I could have the promise and the hope of a future in heaven. That you and I could have the hope of new life here on earth, today, in the here and now. That you and I don't have to wait to get to heaven to be in the presence of God, but we can have the presence of God in our life right now, in your life right now. When you go through the difficulties, when you go through the darkness, when you face the evil, when you face the difficulty, that you can have the very God who the Israelites mourned the fact that he was not going to go with them as as they faced their enemies. You can have that God living inside of you to face every trial, every difficulty that this life brings by having faith that Christ did that on your behalf. The Bible says with the heart you believe that. And with the mouth, confession is made. And so as I pray in this moment, there's no magic prayer to pray. In in this moment, right where you're at, you can repent of your sins and you can confess that you're trusting in Christ for your salvation, to be your hope, to be your life. And you can ask him to save you, to redeem you right where you're at. And the Bible promises that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and God will no longer be this figurative thing around you that you're trying to achieve, but the Bible says that He will live inside of you. He will dwell inside of you through His Spirit. And so as I pray, you can have that conversation. And if you do, I would love to help you take your next steps to help you grow in that relationship. And so if you do that, there's a Connect card in front of you. I'd love for you to let me know that you've made that decision today to follow after Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we don't have to be in the Genesis 3 days any longer in our personal relationship with you, separated, cut off. We don't have to be like the Israelites were in Exodus 33, where it was just transactional. We could consult with you, but that's it. It was very impersonal. God, I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus, to die in our place. And the Bible says, for whosoever believes will not perish. So Lord, we don't even have to face the consequences of our own sin because Christ has already paid the consequences for us. God, I thank you that you are among us, that you have made the way for us to be in your presence once more, but also to have your presence wherever we go. And so my prayer today is, Lord, if there's any of us here that, Lord, we're not yielding to you on a daily basis. We're trying to go into this world on our own, forgetting that you are with us and in us, and we're just ignoring you. We're kind of snuffing you out in our life, that, Father, we would be convicted of that, and we would start looking like the like Moses did to say, I don't want to go into this world. I don't want to face the enemy. I don't want to face the evil without you. I need you to go with me. I want you to empower me, to live through me, to produce your fruits in my life and through my life, that that would be a daily practice of ours. And so Lord, if we're not doing that, convict us in this moment that we might take that step on a daily basis to yield ourselves to your spirit that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives within us would be the power that we live by on a daily basis. And then, Father, I pray for those maybe that might be here or might tune in online or might watch this video years from now, who might, Lord, your Spirit be speaking to them in this moment. Open their eyes to see that you are the Lord and Savior that they need to trust in that they were created to be in a relationship with you, and Christ is the only way to restore that relationship. And so in this moment, may they call out to you. May they confess their sins, but also may they confess their faith in you. And may this be the day and the moment of their salvation. May this be the moment that they enter into that family of God and that relationship once again. May Revelations 21 begin now for them. We love you. Most of all, we thank you that you love us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.